this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Warning, the following broadcast contains adult language, adult content, frank safety discussions, and stories that might sound unbelievable. But believe me, every one of those stories is true. We didn't start the safety war, but we are going to fight to win it. For our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, and for our lives. It is Safety Wars for Wednesday, September 28th, 2022. As usual, we have stuff going on all over the place here. So, what did I miss? How am I doing here? I think I'm picking up this pretty well. I do say so myself. Hey, if I don't praise myself, who's going to praise me, right? Safety in the news. So this uh, comes out of U.S. News and World Reports. All right, now that I'm certain we're on the air. Switzerland has reclaimed its number one spot in U.S. and World uh, Reports annual Best Countries ranking. After a one-year hiatus, while the United States and Sweden moved to into the top five in the seventh edition of this analysis released on Tuesday, the Central European countries supplanted Canada, which moved down to number three in the 2022 rankings. Switzerland also landed at number one in the Open for Business sub-ranking, which assesses countries by how business-friendly they're perceived to be and in the top five. Any guess on what the number two uh, country was? That was Germany. Deutschland. By the way, I skipped over a couple of things. Uh, safety words. This is uh, now our fourth, no, third. Yes, third uh, live broadcast this week. We're doing pretty well here. I think uh, I'm getting starting to get the hang of this, unlike... Uh, last week and earlier this week. Uh, I want to thank everybody for the support. Uh, something I want to talk about real quick here. Right, in case you don't know, and this is for posterity in part, we are dealing with a very serious situation down in Florida right now. We have Hurricane Ian, or Ian, depending on how you pronounce, want to pronounce it, uh, you know, impacting a lot of things going on in this country. Reportedly, there's 3 million people that have been evacuated as of right now, 8.03 p.m. And this storm system has reached uh, the Fort Myers area, and we're seeing reports from all over the place. People are freaking out and everything else. But let's remember, uh, if you are in the path of a storm and you can still do it, prepare. If, and I mean those people up in Georgia, those people up in the Carolinas, if you are there in the storm right now, follow the instructions of your local emergency people. Uh, I doubt that anybody is listening to safety wars down there, but uh, something you gotta remember, Although we're talking disaster preparation month and everything, disasters can hit at any time, especially of the man-made variety. Uh, so 
you, uh, essentially what you guys have to do and gals have to do and everybody else. You have to go out there and prepare well ahead of time. I'm hearing uh, problems all over the place about uh, fuel issues down in Florida. They've been without fuel for a couple of days, problems getting fuel. Well, guess what? Now you're in crunch time, as we used to say in college. Uh, you have to uh, go out there and uh, prepare ahead of time. The other thing is this. I still am seeing supply issues with a lot of grocery stores here in the Northeast. Uh, they're doing the uh, trick of, uh, so you have a shelf and you have three or four boxes deep in the shelf, and now you're only seeing one box deep, right? Because they're having less. Uh, certain things, uh, my, one of my favorite things, sriracha, right? Sriracha hot sauce, unavailable because they had uh, apparently some kind of agricultural issues over there down in, uh, uh, out in uh, uh, the, uh, the east, the far east uh, over there, or as, you know, the far west, depending on where you live. So a little bit of an, of an update here. Uh, Western leaders have blamed deliberate sabotage after the Nord Stream uh, pipe from Russia suffered unprecedented damage off Sweden, causing a 3,000-foot-wide bubbles in the Baltic Sea and causing prices to spike. Explosions were heard near the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipes, where gas is now leaking into the Baltic from three holes, scientists have confirmed. While chronic safety concerns have led to a five-mile exclusion zone, or hot zone for those, uh, for what some people would call, being imposed around the affected area. Danish Prime Minister Mette Fredriksen has said her government uh, believes that leaks were caused by deliberate actions, adding that the gas supply pipeline will be out of action for around a week. Now, I'm a little bit confused here because yesterday they said that the pipeline wasn't being used. Now it's going to be out of use? I think we're getting a little bit of uh, problem reaction solution here. Uh, again, if uh, it was lack of maintenance for years and this thing uh, decided to rupture, and it's like I was mentioning last night, all the things that could cause a pipeline to rupture, uh, then, you know, I think this is a thing, uh, who's going to pay for this? Is it going to be insurance? Is it going to be something else? I think that that has more to do with uh, everything than any, with this stuff than anything is who's going to pay for this uh, stuff. Uh, I don't know how the insurance uh, uh, people are going to uh, address this and, Everything else. Now, we've also heard the now the uh, on in some areas the conspiracy theorists that say that the U.S. is sabotaging this, and uh, uh, because we're looking to sever the relationship with oil and natural gas being supplied to Europe from Russia, and this is part of hey cutting off the power of the supply. Again, we cannot have it all ways here. Yesterday, Russia did it. Today, U.S. did it, right? I don't know. And this all seems to me like someone has to do with money someplace and legalities. The other thing is this. If, they're not, if they weren't maintaining that thing and this thing happened, 
then someone's up the proverbial uh, Guvano River without a patter, paddle. So that's something to consider. This is from Tew Research. There is apparently a shortage of prison guards all over the country. Well, you think I'm surprised uh, by any of that? Look at what we have with prison guards. Not only you, no. If you're a police officer or sheriff or other law enforcement person, you may, and you encounter people out there, all right, uh, you may or may not meet a bad guy or a bad person, right? You, you may not. So, you may, you're a prison guard or a corrections officer, as they prefer to be called. Now you're definitely meeting good chance. Okay, we have some people there in in prison that are not supposed to be there, unjustly prosecuted, and everything else. But I'm going to say the overwhelming majority of people in prison, no, they've been convicted of something. Some of them very heinous crimes. So now you're in a very stressful situation because now you're you know you know versus other law enforcement where they got to go out and find the bad people. Here you know you're dealing with bad people. So you're dealing with things on a totally different level here. All right. So coupled with that, and if you read any of the uh, books by people in prison, the last one that I read was from Bernard Carrick, From Jailer to Jailed. And he was, uh, for a little bit of... uh, 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 as a reminder, he was one of the heroes of 9-11. He was the police chief in uh, New York's for New York City. Then he was he was also the chief of corrections. I believe that's the title, the head of the corrections department. Then he was also uh, a security consultant. And when he was going to be appointed to a position in the Bush administration, it was discovered there was some type of financial issues that would normally result in a fine and and ended up in jail time with jail time. So uh, he ended up on the other side of the system with the prisoners in the federal prison system. But he spent uh, pre-trial and sometime post-trial in Rikers Island in New York City. He did not realize from looking at this from the other point of view how horrible the prison conditions were. And he came out with a whole bunch litany of things that are wrong with the prison system. And I, I just wish, I don't know, with all due respect, that maybe people would have done that prior. Uh, no, I'm f- from the other side. Okay, I understand. Prison, punishment, everything else. But realize that most of the pe- those people are going to make it out of prison. They're going to serve, serve their sentence. You need to have, and this is what Bernard Carrick had said, you need to have programs for them. You have to have education. You got to try to break the cycle of addiction. You have to, a lot of things that have to go on. But now you're a prison guard. You get put into this situation. All right. What do you, what else do you have? Another uh, uh, associate of mine, uh, G. Gordon Liddy, yes, of Watergate fame, he put it like this you have crappy indoor air quality. All right, in there, it's either too hot or too cold. And you're saying, well, you know, so what? They're prisoners. Well, guess what? There are uh, things uh, from ASHRAE, the American Society of Heating, Air Conditioning, Refrigeration Engineers. There are thermal guidelines 
for this. Uh, standard 62, and I believe the other one is standard 15 that they put out, uh, specifically on thermal limits. But let's remember, not only is this a jail for prisoners, it's also a workplace. So now you're subjecting guards to this type of environment. Now you're going to say lack of health and safety protections. Yeah, guess what? There are lack of health and safety protections because they're government employees. Most of the time, they uh, are not covered by anything from the federal OSHA. So now they have to rely on state OSHA. Well, guess what? Up here in New York, Pesh did a really, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it, piss poor job during the COVID situation here. I know people who work in the correction system and I'm they're going this and that. Oh yeah, Jimmy, blah, 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 blah. I said, well, what's New York Pesh saying? Oh, they're not saying anything. Oh, okay, great. Uh, no, and they, they basically turn their back on these people and it's not unique. Other uh, state agencies that are in charge of health and safety for public employees, where are they? Where were they during COVID, right? It went through and went through the prisons reportedly here. I've heard in the background that uh, like you wouldn't believe it's, you know, it's a horrible situation. So is it really surprising that now, oh, well, now we're going to have a shortage in prison guards and corrections officers and everything else that goes into the uh, prison system. So I don't know what to say here other than safe. You want to retain people? Take safety in mind. Make it a better workplace for them. Make it a better workplace for the inmates. Right? They're going to be out there. What do you want? You want them to come out worse than what they came in? Brutalized? And everything else? That's not something, uh, you know, that's not something that's going to, no, pain for pain. That's not something that's going to be conducive to anything. Next story. Just when you thought COVID was over with, as stated by our president, Joe Biden, in an interview over the weekend, there are signs that the UK, that's specifically England, right? That's on the other side, might be headed for a new wave of COVID. Uh, the good news on this wave of COVID, and we're going to be doing several stories uh, later this week, uh, I have planned uh, on uh, this stuff. The new strain of COVID is the COVID-19 variant that we've already seen. There has been a reported 30% increase in cases in the past few weeks after a steady decline. Stay tuned for more information later on. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of updates here. This from the OSHA newsroom. I have a couple of articles here. So, uh, U.S. Department of Labor finds, and this is, was released today, U.S. Department of Labor finds Chicago-area candy maker again exposes workers to amputation from machine hazards at a facility. I'm not going to mention the name of the facility. Uh, OSHA finds five violations but proposes $201,000 in fines. Uh, this sounds like repeat and serious violations here. A federal workplace safety inspection found a Chicago-area candy manufacturer's long history of violations for machine safety requirements, and they continue after the company exposed workers to amputation hazards and failed to utilize lockout-tagout procedures over the last five years. OSHA has issued citations 
to blah, 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 for one repeat violation and four serious safety violations with proposed penalties of $201,000 plus after responding to an April 4th, 2022 complaint of unsafe working conditions. OSHA inspectors found workers exposed to amputation hazards because the company failed to utilize energy control procedures such as lockout tagout, a.k.a. lotto, before workers cleared jams and serviced equipment. So basically, whatever they're doing at this facility here, they're making candy, but I don't know if this had to do with candy-making machinery. Often what happens is machinery becomes clogged, becomes fouled becomes jammed. So what happens? You have to go through a whole procedure on here where you're going to go through and you're going to do shut down the machine. This is uh, in the lockout tagout standard. I forget off lot. It's 1910-147, right? General industry. If I got the number wrong, I'm sure I'll hear about it. And what happened is, what happens often is that people say, well, hey, I'm not going to go through this procedure because I have to get my work done because I have a quota in place because my boss will yell at me. There's some type of a written or unwritten incentive program here. So they start putting their hands into things to foul, uh, to unfoul the machines. And what happens often, uh, the machines might have an unintended startup and you start losing fingers and toes and, uh, everything else. There was one case in here in uh, New Jersey without equipment guards, and the guy lost his genitalia uh, a number of years ago. And what happened here? Uh, there were uh, apparently, uh, there was a complaint of unsafe working conditions here, meaning someone got pissed off. Is I'll, I'll, I'll translate. Someone got pissed off at their boss or at the company, and made a report into OSHA. And what e- uh, ended up was uh, they went out there and cited them for this. Lockout, tagout stuff is nothing to be messing around with, ever. Lockout, tagout stuff, it, uh, no, <laughs> it's bad. So I normally do not go and show the blood and gore in my safety training stuff. I don't do it. However, I was at a refinery and we had workers who did not take lockout, tagout procedures seriously. They didn't take it seriously at all. They were like, what the hell? Why am I doing all this? No, one, this doesn't help, blah, 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 blah. What happened was I uh, ended up going and saying, look, and these are all younger workers. The older workers knew, hey, you got to be doing this stuff. Not only are you going to get fired if you're caught not doing it, but, you know, that was one of those uh, zero-tolerance things that they had in the facility. But it's not, not not smart. You don't want to be doing this because we're not in control of who starts up the equipment or not. So, I know we went through, ah, Jimmy, it's baloney, it's this, it's that. Well, guess what happened? I said, I tell you what, we're going to have at the safety meeting we're going to have a meeting on lockout tagout, and it's going to be gory. And, uh, no, I made a promise. I said, I don't know if I could deliver on this. It's going to be gory, but blah, blah, blah. So we, I went to a website. I'm not going to give uh, the name of it, but it is a common website that uh, 
broadcasts all different types of blood and gore and everything else. And I, uh, uh, I, put, I downloaded a couple of videos off there, and they had a whole section, a lockout, tagout, accidents, accidental machinery startups, things of that nature. After about four or five of these videos of people getting seriously hurt or killed, guess what? Never had a lockout, tagout issue again. They said, well, we did not know that this could happen. I said, what, me telling you? And then the question is, well, me telling you didn't do it? My question is this. When you hear these stories from experienced people like me or anybody else, why do you ignore it? That's really what the corporate culture was. So was it really a lockout, tagout compliance issue or a corporate culture issue where the foreman or their supervisor or somebody else on the crew, a leader, just said, have F it, we're, no, ignore him. That often happens, by the way. Uh, let's face it, we're safety professionals. We're not usually not in charge of work. We're usually not in charge of bonuses. We're usually not in charge of pay. We're usually not in charge of hours or anything else. So who are they going to listen to? Probably not us. And if you could break through that, and that's what part of this safety war is, giving you skills, giving you inspiration, giving you uh, uh, support, coaching, anything like that. And you could get us there on your side if you give us a call at 845-269-5772 or email us at jim, J-I-M, at safetywars.com. Now, our next story. U.S. Department of Labor to hold virtual meeting to solicit public input on OSHA whistleblower program improvements. So OSHA is uh, holding a meeting, middle of October. You can look it up on their website. Uh, it's the 10th in a series of meetings on how an a the agency can improve the whistleblower program. OSHA is seeking comments on, one, how can OSHA deliver better whistleblower customer service? And two, what kind of assistance can OSHA provide to help explain the agency's whistleblower laws to employers and employees? Something really uh, uh, important, something that I did not know, I heard it on a podcast last week, is OSHA is in charge of the, you know, let me get it, the so uh, enforcing, this is weird. I thought this is, I thought this was weird, right? So the Sarbanes-Oxley Act of 2002, this was a law that came about because of Enron and WorldCom, and the situations that they had in the late 90s, early 2000s. Actually, OSHA is in charge of, uh, what, what is it, Sarbanes-Oxley? Corporate Auditing, Accountability, Responsibility, and Transparency Act. So basically, and I'm, we'll have a future episode on this, Sarbanes-Oxley Act, as far as the whistleblower provisions on there, are managed by OSHA. Hmm, a company was just issued... Like uh, a company you've heard of, like a $21.1 million fine by OSHA or whoever else is involved with this for violation of this act. So I think what, what my opinion, they have to go and they have to advertise this a little bit more on whistleblowers. So if they want people to actually use the service and generally speaking, uh, I don't have the thresholds in front of me, but if you report a safety issue and you get retribution for it, 
you get and you like fired or anything, you could report this to OSHA as within a certain amount of time of that uh, alleged violation. And they, and it's got to be like quick, like a week, something like that. All right, don't quote me on that. Uh, but basically, it's got to be held, uh, done really quickly. Otherwise, uh, nothing, you can't do anything. And uh, now, people, how successful are they? Not uh, very successful, but I tell you what, it does put the company on notice uh, with this. It's not a 100% success rate by any means uh, as far as finding, but it puts everybody on notice. Okay, U.S., uh, next story. The U.S. Department of, hold on, U.S. Department of Labor announces changes to OSHA's severe violator enforcement program to strengthen enforcement and improve uh, compliance. So what's this program? Let's say that you're a severe violator or even a frequent violator. Uh, they are go, you know, you get put on a list and, no, and basically, if OSHA visits you one time, they're going to be there again, whether you whether or not you have an accident. If you have an accident that has to be gets reported to OSHA, then I can almost guarantee you there's going to be investigation. Now you may say, "Well, Jim, well, what you know, what what would cause that?" I'm going to tell you. Uh, I've had a couple of clients that have given me calls, not while they're not while they're in my program, right, in the Safety Wards or JCP Technical Program, for. Uh, no, that's stuff to manage it. It's when they have an accident and then all of a sudden they get a letter or they get a phone call or they get a visit from OSHA. How do they find out about it? And this is what I often hear. Pardon me, I got to move the chair. Here, I got to stand up. This is what happens when you have herniated discs. All right, the, now they, they say, how could this happen? And I say to them, well, what happened? And they said, well, a guy went to a hospital. I said, okay. And what happened? Well, I said, was it a workers' comp situation? Yeah. He, he went under workers' comp. And guess what? And guess what happened? I said, that OSHA showed up two weeks later. He said, yeah. And I said, well, that's about the lag time that we're running here in, uh, no, in the Northeast. It takes about a week or two for them to show up for uh, less severe no, OSHA recordable injuries. And they came here and they just showed up. I said, okay, they just showed up. And, uh, you know, uh, they came this uh, and, you know, and wouldn't you know it, five months and three weeks after they showed up, we get issued citations. And these are not the good kind. That's one scenario. The other scenario is this. Every time there is a 911 or 911 call in many areas, especially in the major metropolitan areas in blue states in the United States, you're going to probably going to get a, uh, if there's a 911 call, somebody somewhere in the pipeline is going to go and, well, that gets their attention. And then it gets reported to OSHA. A lot of the, uh, so even the areas that you wouldn't expect for uh, in Hudson County. I'm not going to mention the specific city in Hudson County. Uh, somebody got hurt on one of the jobs that I was on. A guy banged his knee. All right. And uh, this was for one of my clients. 
no, it was just one of those error rate things called you know, caught up with him. And he right. injured his knee, and he went to the uh, doctor to uh, go out and uh, get a you know get a uh, get checked out. It was a first aid injury. Uh, thank God, it wasn't anything serious. It was managed by uh, ice and heat and over the counter medication. And uh, no, there was no. Uh, they sent the guy home for the day. Next day he came in. Yeah, he was okay. Right, and we did follow up and managed it. Everything was great. That's another service we offer. Long story short, there was a guy, uh, a, uh, a police officer on detail. What does that mean? He was out there and directing traffic because a job involved uh, traffic control. He ended up going out and uh, because there was an injury, his orders from his management, from the chief, were you have to report injuries. Any injuries that happen on that job, you have to report it. So he reported it. Took about two or three weeks later, we get a letter from OSHA, what's this? And then we ended up having to manage it, and it was no citations issue. They just wanted to know about it. Uh, that's another thing, right? So companies, unknowingly, they get on this uh, severe violator program, and they're looking at uh, you know, updating the criteria. right? Uh, well, they updated it. Right? What are they? The new criteria include violations of all hazards and OSHA standards and will continue to focus on repeat offender, offenders in all industries. Previously, an employer could be in the program for failing to meet a limited number of standards. The changes will broaden the program's scope with the possibility that additional injuries will fail, well, I'm sorry, will fall within its parameters. Since 2010, the Severe Violator Program has focused on enforcement and inspection resources on employers who either willfully or repeatedly violate federal health and safety laws or demonstrate a refusal to correct previous violations. In addition to being included on a public list of the nation's severe violators, employers are subject to follow-up inspections. The Severe Violator Enforcement Program powers OSHA to sharpen its focus on employers who even after receiving citations for exposing employers to hazardous conditions and serious dangers, failed to mitigate these hazards, said Assistant Secretary for OSHA, uh, Doug Parker. Specifically, going on, right? Specifically, the updated criteria include the following. Program placement for employers with citations for at least two willful or repeated violations or who receive failure to abate notices based on the presence of high-gravity serious violations. Follow-up or referral inspections made one year, but not longer than two years after the final orders from the first violations, and potential removal from the Severe Violator Enforcement Program three years after the date of receiving verification that the employer has abated all program-related hazards. In the past, removal could occur uh, three years after the final order date. So it's not the final order date. It is now going to be when you, after you abated the hazards. Employers' ability to reduce time spent uh, in the program to two years if they consent to an enhanced settlement agreement that includes use of a safety and health management system and seven basic elements of OSHA's, with seven basic elements of OSHA's recommended practices for safety and health programs. So what's the moral of the story? 
don't get on the list to begin with would be number one. Uh, number two, take care of your employees. And number three, if you happen to get on the list or if any of this stuff, give us a call or any of the other Safety FM colleagues here, 845-269-5772. I'm going to take a break here and... In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Okay, we're back. I think we're getting a little bit smoother in our transitions. So, some other news. Federal workplace safety regulators have proposed firing a fining, I'm sorry, a subcontractor nearly $1.2 million in connection with the death of a worker during the demolition of a parking garage in Boston. The worker was operating an 11,000-pound excavator uh, in the government center garage in March when an upper floor gave way and he fell 80 feet to his death. It was his first day on the job. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's say you're, you have new employees. They could be experienced journeymen or journey persons, I guess we're calling them, or they could be uh, have other situations. And what you end up having to do is uh, train them, right? Just because someone's been doing a job for a long time does not alleviate the employer from actually going and training their employees. Some of my clients have a very in-depth onboarding system. I know of one former client of mine that it takes uh, the on- onboarding is two days where they cover everything that you're going to ever need to know for your job. They don't care what your experience level is. They don't care about nothing. So that's something uh, where you have to consider. Hold on. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's Safety Today. So, now we're going to go into the financial uh, numbers for the day. Gold is trading at 1671.30. Those are in dollars. It's up $32.50. Silver at 1920. Up. Uh, 56 cents. Platinum, 889.90. It's up $23. And palladium at, is trading at 2188.50. It's up 62.10 for the day. Dow Jones Industrial closed at 26.5. Uh, I'm sorry, 29.683. 
up 548 points. The NASDAQ closed up 223 points to 11,051.64. The S&P 500 closed at uh, 3719.04, up 71.75. Bitcoin is trading at $19,714. It's up 632. You know, I could have gotten in on Bitcoin the first day, and I thought it was a scam. <laughs> but anyway, and Ethereum is trading at 1351.96. Some additional news. The euro, the pound sterling, and the yuan are uh, all hitting record lows versus the dollar. And what else do we got here? That's all we have today for the news. Now on to our main story. Oh, hold on. One thing I forgot. We're going to give you an update here on a story we covered on the Safety Wars podcast back a couple months ago. It's about the Alec Baldwin and the Rust shooting. And everything in there is alleged. We're not accusing anyone of crimes or anything else. But we were like the only program here that actually covered the inside story here with uh, this uh, thing. What's the inside story? The inside story is real simple. It was all in the government of New Mexico and their report. They have a state-administered occupational safety and health program. And uh, I forget the exact name, but they have a state OSHA. And they had issued a report uh, roughly about five or five months after this accident happened last October, which killed Helena Hutchins, uh, filming the Western Rust in New Mexico. And basically, what, what, what was the whole thing? I'll give you the gist. The gist of the whole situation is that the... Uh, was the people put everything in writing. That's the whole gist. How did they find out about what happened on that set? Everybody was talking. Everybody put everything in writing. So what it was made the job, I'm sure, immensely easier for the regulators to go in and just they got all the information. So because there's potential criminal stuff in the United States, you do have Miranda rights. You do have the right to remain silent. They didn't use it. All right. And what, what was what was in the final report? The final report essentially said that people in charge said, don't worry about safety. They did not follow any of the industry standards for a movie set where you have guns and everything else, whether they're real guns, prop guns, these guns, that guns. None of this stuff. And they tried to, last October, dump it on the uh, uh, responsibility of the prop department, specifically the armorer. There is an actual armorer, right? Not like Mandalorian, uh, Amanda Swallow, right? Who I, who is a friend of the program, by the way. She, uh, and they tried to uh, dump it on uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, Emily Swallow, who's a friend of the program. They tried to dump it on this armorer, who's basically a, a safety professional, but for all intents and purposes, a safety professional, 
early to mid-20s in that range with people with extremely strong personalities on that crew. I think we all know what I'm talking about. And they dumped everything on her. And then they, and they, the focus was on, hey, uh, you know, the procedures on site, and you could read the report for itself. And again, everybody is innocent until proven guilty, and I'm sure things are being appealed and everything else to the process. So nothing is final, and the report might be wrong, right? How many of us have been on a job where the, the report comes out from whoever on high and it's freaking wrong? That's happened to me repeatedly, right? And But anyway, why do I bring up Alec Baldwin? It hit the news yesterday that the final police report on the shooting near Santa Fe, New Mexico is expected next month. That is October, about a year, at which time the prosecutors will file criminal charges if necessary. Now, what do a lot... What Now, you're dealing with a whole bunch of Hollywood actors, actresses, people big insurance policies, what's the one thing that they have? They have good attorneys. I can tell you, any of these people have phenomenal attorneys. Now you're dealing with a local prosecutor in Santa Fe. It said outside Santa Fe, I'm not sure of the jurisdiction. They don't have enough money for this. they got to hire professional witnesses. They have to hire uh, 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 all different types of uh, experts. Uh, you have to get people there. you got to do this. you got to do that. People don't do this stuff for free. I mean, can they? Yeah, they can subpoena people, but this is going to cost money. There's money, and you don't. And the prosecutor may not have the skills to handle this alone. Again, you're in a small town or whatever. Guess what? You got to hire people. You got to work overtime. You got to get this costs money. So they uh, asked for more money from the, whoever the jurisdiction is, and. Uh, they basically requested for about finance board, uh, granted the district attorney's office, $317,750 in funding in September, but they requested 635,000, the prosecutor. So I don't know this, uh, no, I, I'm going to say this. Everyone's innocent until proven guilty on this. Uh, I don't know what that final police report says, but we do know what the other thing said. And uh, according to New Mexico OSHA, things were a little bit lax. So I don't know. We'll see. These reports may or may not be true. Anyway, um, the other thing is this. Uh, with this, it's if someone tells you you're a safety professional, someone tells you, uh, safety is not important, and they put it, put that in writing. That's probably something you want to keep. That is a document you want to keep. Now we're going to talk today, right, on our ongoing coverage of disaster response or de- I'm sorry, disaster preparation. Last night we talked about hand protection. I'm going to talk to you something. You're going to say this is a little bit off, Jim. You're nuts. But I'm going to talk about foot protection, occupational foot protection. I'm, I did, a number of years ago, I got a, uh, a client of mine. They were making the transition from uh, non-safety toe shoes, and I might call them steel toe shoes, but I know they're composite, but I'm an old guy here, right? I say that jokingly, right? I'm going to be 52. But 
Uh, it's going to be steel toe from here until kingdom come for me. And it's cliche, right? But when your feet are okay, you're okay all over. But this client of mine was going to go, you know, make this transition, and they got a lot of pushback. I mean, you hear it all. Oh, I'm going to, you know, some of my, and it's always the same story. My grandfather's best friend's illegitimate son a hundred years ago was uh, in the Pacific Northwest and working on Skid Row. That's where they used to put the uh, roll the uh, uh, lumber down to the river and everything, the mills. And this 50-ton tree fell from six stories onto his foot. And if it weren't for that steel toe, he would have lost, he would still have his toes today. It's like, huh? Okay, well, let's make, let's steal toes or composite toes or, you know, what you want is, uh, no, it used to be ANSI standard Z41. Now it's been updated to the American Society for Testing Materials, uh, standard F2412 or 2413, right? On this. Right? Uh, they're, they're just made for incidental things. So uh, I forget how many jewels they're rated for. But basically, you got a hammer, you got a, a, a wrench, small hand tools, maybe something falling on your foot. That's what those are for. They're not meant for huge amounts of weight on a, with a sharp edge dropping from six stories, number one. Number two, the, the thing is... Don't go without steel toe boots. Don't do it. Do it at home. Don't do it in the workplace. Go without steel toe boots for a couple of days. You'll notice how often you hit your feet and drop things on your feet. Happens all the time. But I said, look, I did a deep dive in LexisNexis and some of the other uh, services. And basically every regulatory action and every lawsuit came down to this. And settlement. Pardon me. Are you... Where was the worker wearing safety toe shoes? Because you're not supposed to use foot injuries as a indicator of, of foot hazards. Not supposed to do. You're supposed to assess this ahead of time. So real simple. If you think that you may have a toe hazard or a foot hazard, get the appropriate foot protection. Obviously, use the uh, hierarchy of controls. Obviously. You want to eliminate the hazard, right, if possible. You want to substitute one hazard for another. You want to, you want to engineer the hazard out. Protect, then they'll separate the hazard from the person. And then you want to administrate the hazard if you, the best you can. Then PPE as the last. That's in the workplace. Now let's talk about out there when you're doing disaster response work or disaster cleanups like we're going to have in Florida probably on um, starting Friday morning sometime, all right? You don't know. You're not in control of your work area. You're just not. You're not in control of the work area. So what do you need? Get the damn composite toe or steel toe FM or ASCM F2413, right? Why? You don't want to become a bigger issue. Either you don't want to become part of the problem if you're a cleanup worker. Remember, I no, and I'm not faulting any of the medical facilities down there, they're damaged too. They're going to be on overload. You're going to have sick people. You're going to have people who don't have medicine. 
You're going to have people who are hurt, responding. They're going to be on overload for some time. And now's not the time to do something stupid and get hurt, right? With that. That being said, there are several different types of safety uh, shoes, right? So you may have your standard steel toe. You may have a metatarsal guard that goes from the top of the foot, goes over the top of the foot, protect from impacts. Conductive. You're saying, well, why would you have conductive shoes? They're meant to ground people out. They're people working with shock-sensitive material, explosives, flammables, right? You're meant to be grounded. They're not very good if you're going to put them on and you're going to try to do electrical work because easy path to ground goes through you. In that case, you want some type of insulating boots, right? With that, right, they're normally marked with an ohm on there, the Greek letter, ohm. Go look it up, right? Electrical hazards shoes, right? Puncture-resistant tools, slip-resistant tools, and chemical protective shoes. And you have to make sure that you are going to be matching the hazard with the boot, the chemical hazard with the boot, and you have to get the cut sheet from the manufacturer on that. Socks. Now, you're going to say socks? You're going to talk about socks, Jimmy? Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about socks on all this stuff. Family member of mine was involved in a uh, in the Gulf oil spill cleanup. So these folks are working, uh, and I was talking with somebody, right? 10, 12, 14-hour days, 16-hour days. I was talking about what, no, they're already uh, employers are soliciting people for the cleanup down in Florida. A lot of ads went on Indeed and some of the other services uh, tonight. Uh, shut down Central on Facebook is one of them. And, uh, no, we had this discussion out there. The people are working 16 hours a day, seven days a week. Do you think that they had time to do laundry? And a lot of these folks, younger guys, hey, first time away from home. They're 18 or 19-year-old. What are they going to do? Any day that they have off, they're living La Vida Loco, as we used to say in the late 90s, early 2000s. They're having fun and everything else. They're not washing socks. So what happens? They end up going and getting trench foot blisters, everything else with that, getting blisters that get infected. And I had a family member get actually septus at what they used to call blood poisoning, right? Out there, blood poisoning out there, dealing with his feet. He ended up almost losing a foot. He ended up in the hospital on an IV drip for antibiotics. So it was a major thing with him. So socks are important. Are your socks clean? Are you Do you have clean socks? Do you have wet socks? Are your uh, socks cushioned? All of this stuff goes in there. Are they wicking socks? Foot, foot issues are really bad, especially if you have people who are either pre-diabetic or, or who are diabetic who may have neuropathy. So make sure your socks are in good shape. Make sure you have uh, and I'm not going to make a recommendation, but make sure that you have appropriate socks uh, with that, right? And blisters. Check your feet all the time. Make sure your footwear uh, fits all the time. That's something that you need really need to worry about with feet. The other thing is this, chemical exposures. So you're going to say, okay, you are talked about that. Chemical exposures, 
one of the ways that you can get a chemical exposure is through your feet. Right. It's the old wives' tale where, you know, to ward off vampires, they put garlic in shoes. It used to be they did that in uh, Eastern Europe. And soon you would have garlic on the breath. So the story goes. I, I don't recommend trying it, especially if you want to go out on a night on the town, unless you're looking for a mate that's into that. But, uh, no, basically, you can get a chemical exposure from that. And it's really imperative that you get the chemical compatibility chart and uh, know what you're dealing with. So uh, some of the more funnier injuries I've seen with people choosing inappropriate footwear was a guy was on a road crew and they were pouring uh, uh, asphalt. Asphalt comes out off of there like 400 degrees, something, and his boots melted. He wasn't hurt, but it looked pretty funny to see melted neoprene boots. I thought it was pretty funny, at least. Never uh, never saw oh, never saw that happen uh, anywhere else. And, uh, you know, he, he never lived that one down. Uh, the other thing is this. Uh, the natural rubber latex nuke boots on oil spill cleanups. What happens to latex when you are dealing with uh, uh, oil? It dissolves on contact. It's a major problem with that. So they become more and more slippery. Can you use it? Have I used them on uh, oil spills? Yeah, when I know I'm going to have incidental contact if I'm going to be in the Gwuvno with this stuff and I get gro- grossly deconned, I'm going to have something on a little more appropriate. But even so, uh, there's not as many different types of protective boots as there are protective gloves. So they're thicker. you got to worry about breakthrough time. You have to worry about all that stuff. Breakthrough, permeation, penetration. You have to worry about all that stuff. And so you may have to go with a, a thicker boot and guess what? You may have to replace it. Why are you, you know, the, these boots are cheap enough, right, to wear. Why are we, uh, why mess around? Get the appropriate boot uh, that you need for that. Pardon me one second. So that's basically what I have for you folks uh, today. And uh, I wanted to go and uh, thank you folks for listening. Uh, if you want health and safety training, we also do uh, disaster out- outreach training for uh, disaster response workers, the seven and a half and the 15 hour courses. Give us a call at uh, 845-269-5772. And for Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, 
recording or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support.